Well, if you're just joining us, we are in the final week of a series that should have ripped us apart. This is a, a topic that we pressed into that has ripped churches apart. It is right now ripping churches apart. It has ripped denominations apart and is in the process of ripping denominations apart. There's a war going on. We mentioned this from the start of the series. And, and in this war, people are choosing sides. And not only are they choosing sides, but they're, they're saying you must choose a side. And they're wondering what side that is. Are you with us or are you against us? And if our bottom line isn't their bottom line, whichever side is the they and the us, you become the object of their ridicule, you become the object of their scorn, you become the object of worse. And you've chosen to listen. And you've chosen to ask questions. And you've chosen to voice concerns, sometimes through tears, in, in, in a respectful way. Don't you know that's not what we're supposed to do, right? <laughs> According to the world. It, 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 I've always held you in high regard. I continue to hold you in high regard. You know, I, I, I want to say thank you to those of you who came into this um, series with a, an already pre-existing understanding of the authority of Scripture. And you were patient in this series as, as we took time to say, can we find some common ground here? And those of you who don't hold the Bible as authoritative or, or all of it as authoritative, you've been patient and you've been respectful as, as you've said, whoa, let's talk about these words that you just said that are so foreign to um, modern ears. So thank you. If, if we can approach issues with that tone that you've set, we can, go, we can navigate anything. We can navigate anything. So thank you for that. Not thank you for agreeing with me. I don't always agree with me sometimes, you know. But thank you for... Um, for the way you've responded. Thank you. Well, I'm thanking God that, um, that this is week six of this series. And, uh, and, and I want to go back this week to where we started, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So would you please turn with me, if you have a Bible, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, that song was another new one. Thank you, Jill, for bringing that song. I haven't heard that one before. And the Bible provides teaching. Because I think anyone that wants to follow Jesus wants to make that song their prayer. And here's some instructions on how to do that. Um, one, of, one of many places we can find that. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. And I want to let you know, too, if you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one free today. Um, we keep a stack of them right there, and, and uh, I encourage you just to take one. You don't have to sign anything or, or pay any money, anything like that. It's a gift. That's what it's there for. So please take one home. All right, here we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, starting with verse 17. This is where we began this series. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. And all of this, it's from God. It is a gift from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. 
Now, if you spend any time reading Paul's works, you realize he is a passionate guy. He is a man of passion. He is passionate about certain things. And it comes out, I, I see it coming out in this passage. There is passion in his plea. The author, he's a man named Paul. I just gave his name earlier. He, he is a, a real first century disciple of Jesus. And he's writing to a real people. These were real folks he wrote to. This is from a real letter. A real letter. And, and he's writing to these people. And these are people he cared deeply about. And when Paul says, you've been made new, and when Paul says, your sins have been forgiven, and when Paul says, you've been reconciled with God, when Paul says these things, he's referring to their personal experience. He's he's referring to the journey that they're on. And and this isn't the first of the letters that went to the Corinthians. Here's a a, um, a, a sampling from one of his other letters, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He, he says this as he refers to their experience. He encourages them to look back, think about your, consider, your own experience, reflect on your own experience. He says, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And then after listing several behaviors that they had been engaging in, he says, such were some of you. He, he just says, hey, some of you, that was your identity. That was you then. Do you remember those days when you were doing what was right in your own eyes? Do you remember those days when you were aligned either intentionally or unintentionally with other gods and other kingdoms and other worldviews? That was your identity then. You were citizens of a different kingdom with different rules. That was your identity then, and this is your identity now. And he goes on to describe this new identity. He says, you were washed You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Once you walked down a very different path, once you did your own thing, but that was then, and this is now. You have been washed. You have been cleansed. Your sins have been forgiven. You've been given a chance to start over. You've been given new life. You've been given a new identity. You've been given a new heart. You've been given a new mind. You were granted entrance into a new kingdom, one where Jesus is Lord. That's what it means to be reconciled with God. And if you choose to start walking that path, as most of you have, let me tell you something you already know. But write it down anyway, please, on those little green sheets inside your uh, bulletins. God reveals himself to the reconciled as both lightning and love. Isn't that true? I wish I had come up with these words, though. I didn't. They come from a 19th century poem a guy named Gerard Hopkins. In one of his poems, he describes his experience with God as lightning and love. He writes, thou art lightning and love. Can anyone else testify to this? Okay. Nick, you and I. All right. Some others. Okay. Good. This is the experience. All right. Well, good. We've got a group that doesn't know this. All right. Well, let's talk about it. This is the experience you're going to have as you set out to follow. Jesus. God is love. His grace is so amazing that it is scandalous. And precisely because of his great love for us, he's not content to just let us live and let live. Precisely because of his great love for us. Anyone seen the uh, trailers for that new Noah movie with Russell Crowe? YouTube it. I I can't can't, um, vouch for the movie itself because sometimes the way they set things up, And the way the movie goes are two different things. But the trailer is awesome. 
Look it up. And here's what I want you to do. In fact, we, we did this with our kids, all right? Um, with our kids. Head and watch. And, and as you watch the trailer, I want you to put yourself in Noah's sandals, all right? What would you do? What would you do if God asked you to do something that would, would ask you to devote the remaining years of your life to do something that put you at odds with the entire human race? I recently did a search on the words follow me using BibleGateway.com as part of my preparation for this series. Do it sometime because God will ask you to do this. Peter, James, and John, leave your nets. Follow me, Jesus says. Matthew, leave your tax booth. Follow me. Rich young ruler, sell everything you have. Give it all to the poor. Follow me. You who recently lost your father, let the dead bury their own dead and follow me. And he says this, if any of you wants to be my disciple, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. What kind of God would ask us to give up everything to follow him. A God who loves us. Too much to not to do anything less. Here's what I encourage you to write this down. And again, I'm telling you things that Nick and I already know. But the rest of you, God continually draws his children deeper. Isn't that right, Nick? Exactly. He draws people deeper. All right? He continually draws us deeper. God challenges his kids. God disciplines his kids. He tests us. He refines us as in the fire. Wow. Let me see if I can illustrate this. Uh, If this is a good illustration, it's from God. If it's not, it's on me. All right? So let's see how this works. All right? What I'm doing, for those of you listening online, thanks, by the way, because most of you are in kids' church helping out, and we love that. All right, so we've got this cross. We're moving it to the middle of the room. Now, what does it mean to be reconciled with God? Well, when he wrote to the Corinthians, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said, once you were here, once you were going your own way, once you had a, a different worldview, once you had a different mindset, once you were doing your own thing, That was then. This is now. You know, you said just as I am with what but one plea that thy blood was shed for me. You you said, okay, I believe that you paid the price for my sins. I believe that you were my savior and now I'm going to entrust you with as the Lord of my life. And so this is reconciled. That was then, this is now. And guess what? This is reconciled. And guess what? This is reconciled. And guess what? This is reconciled. Reconciled isn't just right here on the other side of a decision. Reconciled continues to happen as more and more and more of us falls under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And we become more like the people we were created to be. If you gave your life to Jesus as an elementary school kid at camp, 
For you, it might have been, okay, God, I give you everything. I will be nice to my sister, <laughs> you know. And for you, that's, that's what it was, right? And then it's like you become a teenager and honor my father and mother. Are you kidding? That was part of the package too, you know. And, and as we move along. We begin to meet him. And one of the things that we begin to see as we are drawn deeper, sometimes it's through those experiences at a camp, at a retreat, where it is just, wow, I get to do this? Are you kidding me? It's that, that experience in a small group where you make a real connection. And this, wow, these people love me like they, the, the scripture said to love one another. Sometimes it's, it's you see a new insight or you, 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 you get a new song. Or sometimes it's that easy stuff that just brings you along. But there are times where the reconciliation, the greater reconciliation, it comes through lightning. And it comes as God leads us to a dark valley or allows us to experience one. And some of us would say, that is where the deepest growth in my life has come. And, and if you're not fully tracking with this, we're, we're going to keep exploring this here as we press into these words today. But let me start this pressing in by talking about Paul. You know, when was Paul reconciled with God? He was reconciled at his conversion. When he heard this voice and and it spoke like lightning to him, he was reconciled then. And he was reconciled when his eyes were open. And he was reconciled as he began to learn deep truths and as he began to experience visions and as he was shipwrecked and as he was in prison. Look at what Paul writes and, and look at how there's the both and of the then and the now. The reconciled and the being reconciled. These are from his words from another of his letters, this time to people in Philippi. He says this. It's a real first century letter to real people. Paul says this. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ and be found in him. He continues on, I want to know Christ. Wait a minute, didn't he know Christ? Yes, and he still wants to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings. Not that I've already obtained all this, he writes, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, Forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Let us live up to what we have already attained. There's a sentence we could spend a month on, huh? Let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together. In following my example, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For many live as enemies to the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is where? Heaven. And when does the kingdom of heaven start? It starts as soon as you're reconciled. You enter in. And it continues on to eternity. Our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly await a Savior from there. Wait, the Lord Jesus Christ, didn't he already come? We, he's coming, we await. I mean, you see the, the, there, the now and the not yet in letters like these. I tell you what, I don't want empty religion. I don't want it. I want what Paul had. I want that Kool-Aid, right? 
I want what he had. Why do I say that? Because I'm not content in all situations. He was. Paul could sing in prison. I was cussing at my leaves when I was raking them in the rain. You know, I had one window of time and it happened to be this last, well, yesterday afternoon. That's my window. I got to get the leaves up and it's raining. I wasn't content in that situation, but Paul could sing hymns in prison. I want to be able to hear God's voice like Paul did. I want to be able to speak healing into someone and they're healed. I want to be confident in my calling the same way Paul was confident in his calling. I want to leave a legacy like Paul left. I want to be ready for the day when my day comes. Having left nothing on the table. Anyone else want what Paul wants? All right, me and Nick and Mary do. All right, come on now. We, if you do, if you want what he's got, maybe you don't because you know what it costs. Here's what it costs. Get ready to be, if you want to be reconciled, it's going to be lightning and love. It's going to be both lightning and love. Get ready to be challenged. Get ready to be disciplined. Get ready to be tested. Get ready to be refined by the relentless transforming grace of God. I've heard people refer to our eternal destiny as the eternalization of our character. That's good. That our eternal destiny is really the eternalization of our character. It's not we make a decision here and we wait for heaven. It's we're going this direction. And until that day comes, we're going this direction. We might step to the right, to the left. We let God bring us back. But it's, it's just the, the eternalization of your character. Are you a person who surrenders to the lordship of Jesus Christ or not? Are you a person who stands on this side of the cross singing, I raise my white flag, I surrender all to you, all to you. Wait a minute. You're not surrendering all to you. And get ready because you get on this side of it and go, okay, God, it's all for you, all for you. And then something happens and you go, oh, that too. Oh, this too. That's the journey. We sometimes don't even know what we're surrendering yet until we get further and further along in our life. That's where the lightning comes in. There are times we didn't realize we have more yet to give, and it's God who brings it out of us. All right, superficial example, because we're getting really heavy, and then we'll get back to, to uh, deeper things. All right, superficial example. If you've been around here for any length of time, you've heard me talk about my inglorious return to competitive running. Uh, it's going to be a long road back for this 40, almost 45-year-old. It's going to be at least another three to four years before I can come back with some report to say, you know what, I actually did well in a race. Um, after my first race in 15 years, I was so out of shape, a 13-year-old girl passed me, and I couldn't catch her. Right? Her name was Nora. All right, so... Fast forward, I looked it up, all right, and marked that day. And so that was in April. Fast forward to this last October. I'm in another race, okay? And I'm, I'm going after it as best I can, but I realize a mile in, this is not going to go well. In fact, it's not going well. In fact, it's going so poorly right now. I'm only a mile in. I'm like, all I can do is hang if I can just keep this pace, which was not a blistering pace, if I can just keep this pace, that is the best I can do. That is all I've got. If I can just hold this pace, that's, that's, that's everything. So I'm doing my best to hold that pace. 
I got a half a mile to go. I see the finish line. I'm like, hold the pace, hold the pace. And then gray-haired guy (laughs) passes me on the right. Little girl passes me on the left. There's another ponytail. There she is. I'm not exaggerating. Her name is Isabella. She's 11. So I've got a choice to make now. I feel like I've got nothing. I feel like if I try to go with these two, I will not make it from here to there. I will collapse before. And how embarrassing is that? I could pretend to pull a hamstring. I've got all the other options, right? I can just clap her on. Go, girl. I, I have other options. If I go for it, I could collapse and I could get beat trying to beat. Bella. I had a decision. Am I going to be the kind of guy who holds back or who tries to summon something deeper? Okay, back to real things that matter. Because <laughs> this is a race. This is a race. Right? Let's talk about real things that matter. What kind of person do you want to be? Do you want to be a person that when it gets tough, you shrink back? Or are you going to be a person that presses If you want what Paul has, he says, follow my example. I'm going to press on. I haven't obtained this yet. Are you going to shrink back or are you going to press in? The great author, C.S. Lewis, once asked the question. He was asked this. He didn't ask it. He was asked this question. Won't the pursuit of Christian holiness turn us into sheltered, naive, inexperienced prudes who miss out on so much of what life has to offer? Here's how C.S. Lewis responded to that. A silly idea is current, that good people do not know what temptation means. This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. That is why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness. They have lived a sheltered life by always giving in. Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is also the only man who knows the full, to the full, what temptation means. The only complete realist. And this same good shepherd who leads his followers to green pastures and leads us beside the still waters. He will allow us to experience and sometimes even lead us through dark valleys. And here's some irony for you. Aren't dark valleys the place where hidden fears and hidden pride and hidden idols and hidden selfishness and hidden strength and courage, aren't those the places where they're brought to light? It's often in the darkest valleys where these hidden things are brought to light. It's in those dark valleys. It's in those places where our deepest fears and strongholds of pride and and strongholds of sin and secret idols, it's there where they're often revealed and brought to light. It's there that we often experience the grace of God most profoundly as we realize He's there. 
He is there. He is rejoicing over every step taken in faith. He is there rejoicing over every inch gained as we're becoming more like Christ. He's there as over as, as he sees every ounce of dross burned away so that the pure self that you were created to be is what's emerging. It was him, you realize, as you get through this, that it's him who gave me strength for one more step. It was him who emboldened us to take that extra step in the first place. And it's him who is in the process of this setting us free. Setting us free. On the other side of the dark valley, we find ourselves, and sometimes even in the dark valley, We find ourselves closer to the people that will be on the day when all is as it should be. On the day when all is as it should be. Free from fear that once held us back. Free from pride that kept us from experiencing more of his power. Free from the influence of idols that can save neither body nor soul. Free from sin that once enslaved or a desire that was too small. Free from a concern that is only for ourselves and not for the world. More on that in just a minute. Very few people, very few people look at life through this lens. Here's a prayer that I've found in the Psalms that I, I, we need to pray more of. Take a look at this. Love this prayer. By your hand, save me from such people, Lord, from those of this world whose reward is where? In this life. By your hand, save me some such people, Lord, from those who's, who, of this world whose reward is only in this life. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I wake, I'll be satisfied in your likeness. I mean, get a picture of those who you know whose reward is only in this life. Those who are pursuing earthly rewards at all other expense. Aren't they the most miserable people that you know? That's the case. People I know. I want to surround myself with people like uh, uh, Jim Elliott, who we quoted last week at the close of the message. He said this. He said, He is no fool who gives what he can't keep to gain what he can't lose. What did following Jesus cost Jim Elliott? His life. And that's kind of a trick question. You know? Because it cost him something he couldn't keep. His life, following Jesus cost Jim Elliott his life at the age of 28 when Jim Elliott was killed attempting to bring a message of reconciliation to a tribe of people who had never heard that message before. And this might sound like a cliche, but it's not a cliche. This is deep truth. Until you found something worth dying for, you've never really what? Lived. That is deep truth. Until you found something so compelling that it's worth dying for, you've never really lived. All of my greatest joys are the fruit of obedience, especially those in tough times. All of my greatest regrets are those times where I've ventured off the straight and narrow. But here's the thing. Reconciliation isn't just about us. And here's where we're going to turn a little corner. Because as good as that is, as hard as that is, but as good as that is, as good as it is to try to follow Jesus and to give more and more and more of your life to him, as good as that is for us, there's another benefit to this, and that is it's the best way to bring the message of reconciliation to the world. I'd encourage you to write down this one last thing. The most compelling witnesses are those who are washed and waiting. 
the most compelling witnesses are those who are washed and waiting. There are so many that haven't heard the message of reconciliation. I was um, sitting around the kitchen table with my daughters and Emma and Andra, and we were talking about the day, the day when Jesus comes back. If you got kids, talk about the day when Jesus comes back. If you don't have kids, you got friends, talk about the day when Jesus comes back. You don't have friends, remind yourself of the day when Jesus comes back. All right? This is a good thing. So we're having this conversation, but when Jesus comes back, one of our girls said, well, why hasn't he come back yet? And I got into pastor mode, you know? <laughs> and I started saying, well, you know, um, they were asking that question 10 minutes after Jesus left the first time. You know, they saw him going to heaven and they're standing there waiting and they had to have what, some kind of angelic being come down and say, guys, you know, you'll come back, just not right now. You know, so I kind of go in that direction. Then I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Then I got into dad mode. And I'm like, if Jesus had already come back even 15 years ago, I wouldn't get to do heaven with you. There are people, some of which hadn't been born yet. There are other people who are still here. They're still here. If the Bible is true, and I believe it is, there are some people on that day who have not been reconciled and will not be reconciled. And we have a message of reconciliation to bring. And the best, the best way to bring that message of reconciliation is through our lives. And the best way to bring it through your lives is going to be when people see that you really believe this even when God asks you to do something that you don't want to do. And they watch how you respond to that. I hope Paul's plea makes more sense now. Let's take one final look at that passage that we launched the series with. Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone's in, in Christ, the new creation has come. If they're in Christ, if they're on this side of reconciliation, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled himself. There's past tense. We were reconciled. Okay? We were reconciled. Something happened in that moment when we gave our lives to Christ. We were reconciled to himself through what Christ did, not any merit of our own. We, we were reconciled through Christ. He gave us then this ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the rest of the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he's committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Then he says this, be reconciled to God. Weren't we reconciled? We were. And he says, be reconciled. Are you fully reconciled? No. Am I fully reconciled? No. There's some reconciliation yet to go and yet to come as we continue to follow him. There's no contradiction here. This is the Christian experience. We are reconciled and being reconciled. We are saved and being saved. We are washed and we are waiting. If the Bible was simply a list of thou shalt nots, the good news would not be good news. Here's what makes the good news good. There is a God who so loved the world that he gave his one and only son for people like you and me. People who once had an identity of sinner, once had an identity of disobedient, once had an identity of, of living in another kingdom, each doing what was right in our own eyes, walking a path that isn't the one he laid out for us. But we were washed. We were cleansed. Our sins have been forgiven. We've been given a chance to start over. We were given new life. We were given a new identity. We were given a new heart. We were given a new mind. 
My life has been purchased at a great price. I will honor God as best I can with the life he's given me. What he says I want to do, where he leads I want to follow, even through the storms. And God is so good, he doesn't make you weather this alone. He doesn't make you weather it alone. Sometimes it feels that way, but he doesn't make you weather it alone. I I think about Saturday, yesterday, and I'm out there in the rain trying to rake these leaves, and all of a sudden, it's just kind of like just to make it, you know, worse. All of a sudden, I hear thunder. I see lightning. I'm like, great. And so I'm out there. I wasn't just like, great. Okay, I'm lying there. But, but I was continued to rake because this is it. This is my window. I got to get these things up. Well, inside the house, my youngest daughter heard the lightning. And she said, Mom, where's Dad? And she said, well, Dad's got to get this done. And so he's out there raking leaves in the rain. And what does Andrew do? Puts on her little coat. Puts on her little boots. Comes up and picks a rake up. And it put me behind another 15, 20 minutes. <laughs> but isn't that what the church is supposed to be sometimes? That's how I feel. Anytime I visit any event, buddy, in the hospital, or anytime I get called into any counseling situation, I am the worst counselor in the world. And, and, and what I realize is often the best thing is just to be there. You know, sometimes you just come and you just... Pretend like you're raking. But what you're really doing is saying, we're not, you're not in this alone. And there will be times when that person who is really going through the hard place, the dark valley, there are times when then that person can come because you're going to have stuff too. Isn't that what we're supposed to be about? Up here on the, um, up here on the uh, altar area, let me bring the cross back up there. I've got two numbers. You may have been wondering what those are about. One of them says 80%, one says 15%. I was with a small group on Friday and watching a video. And they said, in, thank you, Dan. They said in that, um, in that video, there was a guy talking, and he said 80% of people who are surveyed in America say they know a Christian. 80% of the people in America say they know a Christian. Only 15% of these people say that the Christians look any different than anybody else. 80% of the people say they know a Christian. Only 15% say that Christian looks different than the rest of the people. Well, evidently, they haven't met you yet. Because you inspire me. I have watched so many of you go through things that cause most people to shake their fist at God or to question their faith. I have stood, literally, a lot of us, many of us have stood with one another. And we've sung praises to God at our own child's funeral. I've been there with you. I've watched you do that. And I've watched you pray and trust God and praise him when you've entrusted your friends or your parents or your siblings to his eternal care. There are many of you in this room right now and at 9 o'clock who came in and you lifted your holy hands in prayer. And you did that with the life experience right now that you prayed for healing and that healing hasn't come. It hasn't come yet and it may never come. 
but you're choosing to praise God in the midst of that and to walk faithfully in the midst of that. Some of you haven't given up on a marriage that others would have walked away from. Some of you have forgiven as Christ has forgiven you. Some of you have been betrayed. You've been betrayed by a family member. You've been betrayed by a spouse. You've been betrayed by these people, and you've taken a high road. You've chosen not to lash out, but rather say, God, how would you have me respond? Some of you have taken in children that were born to other parents as your own, and there are many of you. You have forsaken your dreams. You've forsaken your friends. You've forsaken your families. You've forsaken careers. You've forsaken desires. You've forsaken finances. You've forsaken all other idols. And you won't say, yep, I've got it all together. But you say, this one thing I do, I just continue to follow Jesus wherever he leads. And those of us who are trying to live this life out imperfectly as we do, we don't sit around saying my cross is heavier than your cross because all of us look around the world and we see people who are literally in prison with a choice that says if you will deny Christ, you'll be set free. And they say, I can't do that. And other people who are literally killed for their faith, there is no more compelling witness than those who are washed and are waiting. So what if? What if we didn't settle for 80 and 15? What if, as much as it depends on us, because that's all we can do, what if, as much as it depends on us, we said, God, we want to see what you want to see, and that's 100%, 100%. What if we said, God, as much as it depends on us, we will bring this message of reconciliation We know we can't force it down someone's throat. That's ridiculous. But we will do the best we can to say, God, I will be a reconciliation message bringer. Show me what that looks like. Show me what that means. We set out to do that. And what if we said, as part of that, Father, I will continue to allow myself to be reconciled. Whatever you ask, I'll do. Whatever you say, I'll go. And we set out to follow him with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our strength even when it's hard, especially when it's hard. There will be a day when there will be no more waiting on healing. There will be a day where there will be no more waiting for persecution of just people to end. There will be a day when there's no more injustice, period, no more abuse, no more addiction, no more unfulfilled desires, no more loneliness. But that day isn't here yet. That glorious day when Jesus returns and sets everything right. Paul rightfully describes our spirits as longing for that day. The word says we groan as we wait for for this to come true. And it's especially true for those who are on the front lines. This longing, this groaning. If you don't long or groan, get out. If you don't long or groan for that day, get out of your comfort zone. Because when you are on the front lines of this stuff, you long and groan for that day, if not for yourself, for others. Because you're so sick of seeing the injustice. You're so fed up with the abuse. You are so angered by what you see. And and so you long. You say, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. And you long for the day when this is done. 
When all of this stuff is done, those on the front lines get that. And that is why, you know, you go to other countries, they don't sing a lot of the songs that are on Christian radio here. There's a lot of great songs in Christian radio, but some of the songs are, oh God, my day is so tough, my coffee is cold, and, and I have to take the kids to two different soccer practices, and, 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 but at least there's you. And it's like, they don't sing those songs in Haiti. They don't. I've been there. They sing songs about Christ. That's what they sing in Haiti. They sing songs about Christ. They're preaching and they're singing about a God who walked the road that they're walking now. Because they said he did that. The one who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality of God something to be grasped. The one who made himself nothing, taking on the nature of a servant, becoming obedient even unto death. Death on a cross. He gets it. They know that God gets it. And they say, God, you get it. We don't get why this is all like it is, but we get you that you got it. So we'll follow you. So they preach and teach that. And they preach and teach and sing about the one who defeated death and the devil. The one who will come back and banish him from our lives forever. They've pressed into the pain long enough to realize that God doesn't say no to something they should want. The devil is making something they shouldn't want look enticing. And they're singing about the one who will come back soon. The glorious day when all will be as it should be. The day when all injustice ends and we can enter our rest. The first place I heard this last song we're going to close with was in Haiti. This is a washed and waiting song. I want to invite us to sing this as we close this series. And before we sing, I'm going to pray. And before I pray, I just want to say one thing. There will be some of you who you're not walking the path of reconciliation and you won't after today. What I wanted to say to you is if the day ever comes, if the day ever comes where as you continue to follow your own way, if the day ever comes where something in you says, you know, this isn't the life I want. Know that there is a God who will welcome you home. And he won't welcome you home with, I told you so. And he doesn't welcome you home even with, the Bible told you so. He just says, welcome home, let's celebrate. And wherever you are around the world, look for the people who are his people and will do the same thing. Who won't say, I told you so. Who won't say, the Bible told you so. But people who just say, welcome home. So if that day comes, the day isn't today, and if that day does come where you want to come home, know that there's a God who welcomes you. Look for the people who will too. May we be those people as we wait for that glorious day. Let's pray. Would you please stand with me too as we pray? Let's Father, thank you for the cloud of witnesses who have gone before us. Thank you for people in our midst right now who are praising you through the storm. May we encourage them and may they inspire us. Thank you for people like Paul who, who walked a road that, that we can't even fathom but was able to say, your grace is enough. Your grace is enough. May we become a people as we wait for that glorious day who can say the same. Lord, we pray for, for all of us, wherever we are in this journey, that, that we could take that next step. Meet us now as we proclaim the day that 
that's coming soon. In Jesus' name.